Happy Thursday, my darling pop culture junkies. It's Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays, and I'm your host, Brooke Hammerling. Pop Culture Hello, hello, everyone. And I have an amazing guest today. We're just going to get right into it because it's going to take me five minutes to list the litany of things that this man is. He really needs no introduction, John Heilman. But for those of you who might not be familiar with him, you will once you hear his voice. He is the host and executive producer of Showtime's The Circus, unbelievable in the political spectrum of the circus that we live in. Currently, he's the national affairs editor of MSNBC. You can find him all the time there on Morning Joe and whatnot. He is a an incredible journalist. I've known him back from the tech days. We've known each other a very long time. Back in the days when we both worked for a living is the thing. <laughs> like, like we both had a job. A real job when we worked for people. He is a dog lover. There's the doggo. Oh, dog oh, is asleep on the couch. He is a huge is a, dog. He had a second ACL surgery the other day and he's like recovering. He's, his knees recovering. So he just sleeps all day long. He like hangs out and watches TV. You're a tall man with a tall dog. You probably both have ACL issues. John is also, if you read the newsletter this week, he got a shout out because he mm. is a tattoo aficionado. He has some of the most incredible tattoos we're going to get into because this week's pop culture newsletter was about tattoo gate going around uh, TikTok. But also he is responsible for the most incredible tattoo I will ever have on my body, which is my dog potato done by the world famous Dr. Wu, who I never would have even gotten the opportunity to know or be in front of if not for John Heilman. So welcome, John. Hey, Brookie. Um, it's How was great that to be intro? Here. It, it was really, really good. And, you know, uh, you can, in the, about halfway through the show, you can do all the other things on my resume. That'd be cool. I know. Well, you're also a best-selling writer, author. Blah, 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 I, blah, blah. Here's the thing. I'm, the thing I'm most proud of, though, is the potato tattoo, because like, it's true that you probably would have, like, I, I don't know how you would have ever gotten to know Dr. Wu if it wasn't for me, but once he knew what the subject was, it was like, and you're like, this is the tattoo I want. He was like, oh, baby. And he like, you he, know, was he really ready. sunk his, he sunk his teeth and his, and his uh, needle into the sublime, artistic, <laughs> emotional, spiritual challenge of rendering potato in all of potato's glory on your fair form. I mean, people don't really know what to do with it. It was funny because at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, Justin Thoreau was at the dinner and the parties. He was there with the dog that he always is with. Kuma. And I, yeah, Baby unbelievable. Kuma. Kuma, I loved Kuma's, him. Kuma's a darling. I spent Christmas Eve, I Christmas Eve dinner with Kuma, Justin, and his 81-year-old mother. And, you know, there's like 25 restaurants in New York City that Kuma's allowed to just go in and sit at the table in. It's really <laughs> wild. And she's like the best-behaved dog in the history of the world. No, the People history like of the world. By the table. They walk by the table and go, wait, I know you, but the dog is what I'm really interested in. You're just like, you're a celebrity, whatever. But, like, that dog is, like, sitting there waiting for a plate and being totally chill it's just like, it's not what people think of it when they think of pit bulls, which is a whole other misconception issue. But anyway. I walked by him a few times in, in the hood, in the village and whatnot. But I think you now that, of course, you would know him and I didn't realize how close you were to him, but you can tell him 
that I'm the crazy girl that like went running up to him. I like pulled my dress sleeve up and he's sitting there and it's like the weirdest, like, I don't know if he thought I was trying to come on to him or what, but I was like, I love my dog too. Look at my tattoo. Like no context. He's just sitting there. It's like 1230 on Saturday night at the, one of Tammy Haddad's parties. And he's like, Oh, is he still with us? Is he, is he still with us? I'm like, Oh yeah, no potatoes here. And he's like, okay, conversation's over. Thanks so much. Well, the thing is, you know, you can imagine when you look at Justin, it's not like he rarely ever gets hit on by women. You know, he's just kind of like, you know, he's an ugly sort of like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would have taken my dress off right there for him. Let me be clear. It was like in front of all of those people, like all of the world leaders, everybody, newscasters. If he said, hey, let's make out right here, right now, I would have been like, okay, no problem. He's he's a very he's he's a big fan of propriety. He would never have done that. I will say for anybody if you haven't already if you haven't already hyped it, Wales Plumbers is incredible and as good as it is. You know what he's doing now, right now, as we sit here, as we no. As we speak? Well, I saw that he was in London. He's in London shooting Beetlejuice too. Oh my God. Okay. So, um, white house plumbers is on my list of things and I want to talk to you about that because, and, and I cannot wait. I mean, you know, I was roommates with Woody Harrelson for a good, a good chunk of time a few years ago. He and I I both, (laughs) he and I both lived in Matthew Freud's guest house in London. We were like, (sighs) like in, inside houses. And then we would sort of congregate for breakfasts and stuff like that. And he was I'm always surprised like, you, I'm surprised you have come down from being high at the, <laughs> now, at the residual. Well, he, um, he did a really cool thing. They filmed a live movie. I don't know if you remember that. It was years ago where he did the yeah. live movie in London on the streets yep. of London that was then shot directly into movie theaters in the U S it was like eight mm-hmm. o'clock in New York. And we all, we were all rooming together. So we all got up in our pajamas and whatnot and went to the movie theater at midnight um, or one o'clock in the morning rather. And, and I think that's when it started or, or yeah. And watched this movie be filmed and then met with him after for drinks. It was the weirdest, most surreal thing as he's running through the streets of London in real time while we're watching it in a movie theater. It's a, it was a weird experiment. I, I will say just by total happenstance, because it is really total happenstance, because Woody was, you know, one of the things you left out of my resume was uh, was my my involvement, my co-authorship of the book Game Change, which was made into a movie by HBO and that Woody uh, was a star of. So because he was in that movie, I got to know him pretty well uh, back now 10 years ago or so. So it's a weird thing that Justin and Woody, who are both at different phases of my life, that, they're, that they ended up in this movie together. And I knew as soon as they that those guys would be great for it because they're both incredible actors and they're both really, really smart. They're both really politically attuned, but they're also really funny. And the, the thing of White House Plumbers is that it's, it's, it's the first like Watergate comedy, you know? So it's kind of like a dark story, but it's so absurd that those two guys, G Gordon Liddy and, and Howard Hunt have such incredible stories of, and the, and the, the whole thing is played for, for not for laughs. It's not like a slapstick thing. It's dark, dark comedy, but those guys are really well suited to doing that. And they became incredibly good friends making it. So, and it shows on the screen, like their chemistry is, is awesome on in the, in the, in the series. And so anybody who hasn't watched it, um, if you're interested in a dark, cynical, and also slightly absurd view of, uh, history and American politics, it's a good place to go. Um, I cannot wait. I really can't wait. And uh, Beetlejuice Beetlejuice 2. Oh, my God. And they said that Winona is coming back and Michael Keaton's coming back. Everybody's back. 
everybody's back. Michael Keaton's coming back. Tim Burton's directing, and uh, Michael Keaton's back, and Winona's back, and Gina Davis is back, and basically the entire cast. What about is back. Alec Baldwin? I don't know about that. But Wednesday Adams is there. Question. Yes, well, yes, Wednesday Adams is there. Um, that's the big casting thing that everybody's all excited about. And then Justin is playing a part that has yet to be disclosed. Um, that I, I cannot wait. Of. I mean, I cannot wait. When when there are movies that I think incredible. about. The movies that I think about that needed a sequel, this is top of the list. Top of the list. You know, it's like one of those movies that's like universally beloved. Everybody, it's, you know, it's, 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 and it's stood the test of time. If you go back and watch Beetlejuice now, it's timeless. It's like, a, you know, the best Tim Burton. It's like Edward Scissorhands is like that too. You can watch that. It doesn't matter if you watched it in the 80s, 90s. Now you can watch it. It's a fairy tale. And like, and Beetlejuice is a different thing. It's, it's, it's not a fairy tale, but it's a, it's comedy is not like situated in an era. It's just, you know, and obviously Keaton is so brilliant in it that I think everybody will be psyched. It's not, it doesn't come out till September of next year, but know, when it comes out, people's heads, are gonna, people's heads are going to explode. I think when they, when, get, when people get to see I it. I can't wait. Really I can't wait. There are lots of movies. Like I'm thinking like the, the Timothy Chalamet rumors of being Edward Scissorhands, like I'm in for it. You're a Chalamet person. You're pro, you're, you're, you're a Chalamet stan. Yeah. Well, the problem is that I have a real, first of all, you know me, I am attracted to, not of a pretty boys, but a red flag. Red flags are my kryptonite. I'm like, if the bigger the red flag, the hotter I'm going to get for them. So Timothy Chalamet is like a pretty big red flag. I mean, I, there is the rumor has been around for, well, there's a rumors have been around for years that like three quarters of New York city is on Val tracks because of him. Like there, he was like, he was, he was spreading, spreading. Could, his, this podcast really goes there. huh? Okay. Well, I mean, again, I say allegedly, it's just a rumor that's always been, it's sort of like the same as the gerbil rumor. Like, eh, you know, could it be true? Not with him. He, he didn't have the gerbil. I was going to say, but, um, who had the gerbil? Wait, who had the gerbil? Who was Richard the gerbil? Richard Gere, that was back. Oh, that's that been like rumor. 30 oh, uh, years. Sorry. I thought we were talking about something more contemporary. I mean, Richard Gere and the gerbil. <laughs> but it's like so old. It is, you know? it is stayed. Yeah the test of time. Anyway, yes, I'm a Timothy Chalamet stand, but I'm also like Dune really upset me because I love Timothy Chalamet and think naughty things, but I also love Oscar Isaac who plays his dad in the movie. And so it just uh-huh. shows you like, I'm not ageist. I love all ages. I just, you know, of, the bigger of, the red dangerous flag. men, all ages of men who have a lot of red flags, obviously either addicts, uh, anger uh-huh. management issues, uh-huh. rock stars, uh, emotional instability, psychic breaks, uh, you know, anything that's like really like a problem, you're right. like into it. And then they usually fall into being a musician, a writer, a filmmaker or something along those lines, as you know, as yeah. you're well aware. But also mm. a lot of them, you know, interestingly enough, most of the guys I've dated have never had tattoos, which I find strange because like you would think those go hand in hand, but they do not. Do- Dr. Wu, by the way, we didn't get to it, but was so excited about the potato tattoo because he himself is a Frenchy daddy. Um, yeah. He is a, a a lover of French bulldogs. And if you remember, you took me to It was such an incredible day. It was 30 days after my open heart surgery. It was the first thing I did. We got, you know, COVID tested. You were doing Bill Maher that night. You were bringing me with you. And you introduced me to Dr. Wu. And Dr. Wu was like, let's do this tattoo. And I was going like shortly after. And then all of a sudden he was like, you're not on blood thinners, are you, for for your surgery? And I was like, yeah. And he said, okay, well, you would have died if I started. Let's let's wait. Let's wait a few. Let's (laughs) wait a little while before we do that. 
Um, it was a great day. I I loved doing that because it was it was the it was like fall of. 20- October thirtieth, twenty twenty. Right, right. A few days before the election in twenty twenty, and everybody had been locked up for most of the year, and it was all still really weird, and the streets in LA were still empty and shit, and um. And you had been through your own, this health crisis. And so it was, it was great on a bunch of levels because the, I mean, we, I knew it would end up with a great tattoo, but also it was like a kind of like a, a, a weird burst of like normalcy in a really weird year. Like, I mean, it, an unusual thing to do, but also kind of like, Hey, we're going to the Hollywood Roosevelt hotel. We're going to go see the tattoo artist. It's like, we'd all been immobile for six months. Right. And it so was it was kind of like strangest thing to be in a studio audience. Like we had, a, I had to go to that yes. trailer and get COVID yeah. tests and then come back to you. And, and there were being, only like every fifth seat in the, in the, in the, yeah, we were thing separated. Was, and, they all had masks on and everyone was seated like 20 feet away from each other. So there were like 11 people in the audience. You're like, okay, this is fucking weird. It was weird, but it also was like, this is the first outside of being in a hospital, the first group of people I'd been around in a very long time. But the tattoo stuff, like uh, you, you love you, that tat though, right? Like you look at it every day and go, oh my God, I love this tattoo. I'm I so mean, I just, it. I'm thinking about the next tattoo. And I will say it was this week when I found the Baby Yoda tattoos, because obviously Baby Yoda is the instigator of my newsletter. He was the inspo of what got me started with Pop Culture Mondays. So when I was writing about Tattoogate and every week when I write, I always try to find something thematically connected with a baby Yoda image. AI has yet to prove helpful on that because when I put baby Yoda into any of the AI, they bring me like a demon child. (laughs) They don't understand. That's going to be one of the key uh, step breakthroughs of chat GPT-5. They're going to be like, we solved Brooks baby Yoda shit. Sam Altman better get to it. I'm telling But there are fortunately a plethora of Baby Yoda images all over Google. And I mean, a lot of people have Baby Yoda tattoos and some of them were exquisite. And I was like, my Lord, I might want one of these. But did you get a chance to to catch up a little bit on this like tattoo gate? Well, I read your, I of course religiously read the the Pop Culture Monday, which does come on Mondays. And I, and I I appreciate that Pop Culture Mondays appears in my inbox on Mondays. The podcast confuses me because it's Pop, Pop Culture, Culture Mondays. Mondays on Thursdays. I know, but that's hard for me to get my head around. I'm like, wait, it's <laughs> is it a Monday thing, a Thursday thing? I don't know. I read it, but I just, for the sake of anybody who doesn't read, I just, I yeah, want yeah. you to tell the, what's quick- interested. Yeah. Just do the thing for people. I read it. I'm interested in it. I have things to say, but I want to like hear your capsule of what this is about and why it interested you. Yeah. There's so many different layers. And the reason it hit was for a couple of reasons. One, the, the person telling the story, the person who experienced it, which was ultimately this mom from Ontario, Canada, she's really soft-spoken. She's really sweet. She seems very innocent. She's almost almost apologizing for this situation she found herself in, but she'd been saving up. She had this dream of this fox tattoo and very specific, a fox tattoo that was running full body. She had multiple reference photos and she'd been following this tattoo artist on Instagram in her local community and was obsessed with her and was able to get in touch with her and get an appointment scheduled. Now, what she then proceeds to tell us in a three-part series on TikTok that somehow captivated an entire genre of TikTokers was that this woman tattoo artist that this customer went to said that there was a consulting fee for her to even like look at what she wanted. So she paid this like $180 consulting fee, which she said was fine. And then the woman said, okay, and 
let me see your reference photos. She sent those beautiful Fox images, Fox tattoos images, again, half sleeve, full body. And she explained she wanted it running and the flowers, the tattoo artist could pick all of that. And then the tattoo artist responds and says, okay, great. These are my three options. And one option is $1,500 and you get a, a sketch of what it would look like on your arm. And I, you can make one change. And then, you know, we go from there. The second one was like, $2,800. And the third one was $6,000, which is multiple sketches and multiple changes. But let me be clear. This is before the, the needle hits the skin, which is an additional multiple thousands of dollars for the tattoo. So this woman who is so innocent and sweet and doesn't know that that might not be a normal process thinks this is a professional's like, I'll take the, the cheapest option, $1,500, which will be a sketch in one change. And the sketch that comes back is a rudimentary, terrible, not even what she wanted. It's just the face of a fox in the front. And it, it looks like a hot mess. And then she proceeds to show us the interactions between her and the tattoo artist about not getting her money back or not like if she wants another change, she has to pay the additional Right. couple thousand dollars for that second tier and it, the back and forth, which shocked everybody and people got so upset for her. But then there was more to the story because people became very triggered by this woman being taken advantage of by this tattoo artist. Nobody had right. heard of this sort of method. Then investigative geniuses of TikTokers, somebody found that the sketch that she had done was actually not an original drawing. And they found the original (laughs) drawing that she had traced, which led to an eruption of drama. It went to millions upon millions of views to now a very famous tattoo artist here in LA, Uh, not Dr. Wu, but another one has worked it out where they're flying her free to Los Angeles and giving her the tattoo of her dream. Tattoo gay. You may have seen this ever-developing tale of a tattoo artist swindling people out of money, running a scam, selling people the most expensive traced sketches. I want to fix this, and we are going to fly this young woman out to Los Angeles, California, and I am going to tattoo this fox. And because she's already out multiple thousand dollars, we're going to do this for free. That's right, completely free. I really just want to uh, fix the wrong that has been done, and I also love tattooing foxes. And she also came across very honest and genuine and um, and she's a mother and it's Mother's Day. So the a fairy tale ending for this woman, not right. for the tattoo artist in Ontario who has been shown to be, you know, taking advantage of, of a yeah. group of people to be a fake in terms of her art and the scandal du jour on TikTok. But can I can I just ask you this question? And here's the thing. So this is the kind of shit that gets me in trouble, right? Because the woman who is the scam tattoo artist is obviously, you know, like scum of the earth and, you know, trying to take advantage of somebody and shouldn't be doing those things. And it's all that, right? Could but you like, imagine saying, yes, I'll pay $6,000 for I can't imagine. A I can't. We live in a world where even the, the most like, like simple minded morons know how to like use Google and like look around. Like it's, it's a permanent thing on your body. Many people hesitate for many years to get a tattoo because they're like, I'm going to be with this, be with me forever. I have to figure out what it should be. I have to figure out the right artist. I research like crazy. I find, I study hundreds of potential tattoo artists. I go interview them. I like, like people care about this. I mean, they should, right? I mean, it's like, it's a permanent thing in your body. It's art. It's like, and so this woman 
didn't like do the basic homework. I mean, the cat, the woman who who got taken advantage of. I'm a, I'm a big caveat emptor kind of person. It's like you can do a lot of research. You might not have identified this person, although you might have found other people with horror stories about her. I don't know, but you could certainly find out that that's not common practice. Just the whole thing, right? The way that so that's exactly the question. You could find all that out on the internet by just like googling around for a day or so. You right. thought you did a little research, sister. Now, Come to on. be fair to her, this artist was very popular and had a very promising Instagram feed. However. It did unearth with the with this scandal. It did unearth some very unhappy customers who shared their terrible tattoos that this woman had had put on their bodies, and there did turn out to be it, it's more more popular than you think. This sort of scam of tattoo artists because there's a well known tattoo artist who basically teaches tattoo artists, which this woman took his course that teaches them to say, listen, you're an artist, your time is money, you're not a $200 tattoo off of Sunset Boulevard in order to, you know, you need to break it down in pricing tiers, then you will be considered more elite. And then you'll weed out the people that aren't really serious. And here's the pricing structure that you should be implementing. And so this woman took it as gospel. And the, the originator of that method has come out in defense of himself and saying that this woman was too rigid and this woman wasn't playing by the rules he set forth. But by all means, there are hundreds of tattoo artists who are doing this. They charge for a consult fee, then they charge a tiered system for the design fee. And this is all before the actual ink is put onto the skin. Now, I am somebody who had a very, very, I was high as fuck 19 years old in Winter Park, Florida, in Orlando. And I got a very, very, very cheap and terrible tattoo. And the, yeah. and the adage goes like the cheaper the tattoo, the harder it is to get rid of. I mean, it all <laughs> blended together at one point, yeah. you know, it, and Ugh. I had to get, they, they couldn't laser that thing off. They said it would take right. two years to laser off. So I got it cut out. It no longer exists on my body. I had to get it. So wow. I understand the perils of having bad tattoos. Yeah. I, I agree, but I have to say, like, you know, if you think, if you go all over America, I, as you know, I'm pretty widely traveled. I, like, go to a lot of places. You can find, like, a good, like, you know, basic biker tattoo place in almost any city with a, like, you go to a, good, a bar where a bunch of bikers hang out, ask a few questions about where people got their tats. They'll be able to tell you where they went and where they got them. You can go and get a, like, you're not going to get Dr. Wu. You know, you're not going to get one of the high-end art tattoos, but you can go get a, get a good, really well done basic tattoo for about $150 or $200 in most little beach towns in America. If you just go do a little like walk into a place where people have a lot of tats and say, and they have hey, sketches really like on the wall. They have yes. like, you know exactly what you're going to get. And you can ask, way. you can get references at a, at a lot of bars. You can walk in and be like, Hey, I really like that thing. And where'd you get that? Oh, I got where it was your street. first I'd, tattoo. How I'd old were you when you got your first? I was relatively old and it was, I've only ever gone to Dr. Wu and, and I was one of those people who spent a long time knowing that I wanted to, uh, to get a tattoo, but really like was obsessive about what it was going to be. And then when I got the first one, the one that's got the Wu-Tang symbol with the Joy Division radio waves in the middle of it, um, he said to me, he's like, you'll be back in a few months because like, this is the thing people spend their whole lives obsessing over what to get. And once you get one, you're like, 
okay, like it's like losing your virginity. It's kind of like, okay, like nobody like loses their virginity and says, okay, I've had enough sex now. People like, go, <laughs> oh, hey, like that was pretty good. Like let's, maybe I should do that again. And you realize that like, yeah, it's permanent, but all of a sudden you start to realize your whole body is a canvas. And I don't have tattoos all over my body, but I now have like, I don't know, like 12, I don't know. And, and I am always like, as soon as More he was hundred percent, he's a hundred percent right. Yeah. And I'm now like, I mean, I don't want to. I don't, I don't need to have, I'm not going to be one of these people who has tattoos over my entire body, but I do, I, especially with that, the level, and it, this is a, a, a first world problem. And you know, we, you're, we're, you, we are both lucky because Wu is it, it is like an, an incredible artist. And oh it's like the, the single, the, the slim needle single thing that he does is so delicate and beautiful. And also he can be is so expressive. And that guy, you know, will, you know, if you walk in and say, I want uh, an octopus that looks like, that looks like a Hindu God. He has like, the vision. Go, he'll go look at some, he'll go look at some octopuses and some octopus art. And then he'll look at like some images of, of, uh, of one of the you know, Vishnu or whatever, and look at the, at the things. And then he'll sit down and like freehand a thing that's like, you know, the freehand like thing is what freaks me out. Like, it's so yeah. incredible. Guys, I can't t- go look at Dr. Wu. He's got over a million followers on Instagram. Close he, to two. Close to two million. He has lots of um, collabs. His his studio is impossible to get an appointment. I've had people reach out to me, and it's you know years down the road. But his studio is amazing. And when you give him the art, when you give him the idea, he goes off into his lab, if you will, his office, and he <laughs> yeah. just goes to drawing. And it was the most it incredible. Hour, gift. It can be like hours. He'll walk out. He'll disappear. You'll sit in there and like have your 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 coffee or your uh, your water or whatever, and sit in the ante chamber out there and talk to his assistant. Abe for hours. Abe is awesome. Walk out, and then he'll walk out with this drawing that he's made for you, and you're kind of like, "Oh my god, like that's fucking crazy." It's funny because I told my friend Jess Rovins, who's been on this podcast, I was like, "Who?" And she and I both have Frenchies, and I told her, and I was like, "It's just gonna be this a little small ode to potato." And then when I she, I came out to her, and I was like, "It's half my arm." Yes, <laughs> and photorealistic. Photorealistic like, looks like potato. I'm totally know? here for it. I'm totally here, and there's gonna be more. But I want to move this on because the tattoo stuff is interesting and you have a billion and just don't get neck tattoos or face tattoos and I'll be fine with that. You can't for your job. No neck or or face tattoos. Totally. um, That's not going to happen. Okay. Okay. But moving forward, you know, it's so funny because I was like, I want to talk to you about Martha Stewart on the cover of Sports Illustrated, Mm. but that feels dated. She looks hot. It feels dated. It already happened. It came out this earlier this week, but she's the oldest woman to appear on Sports Illustrated, but she also, I don't know if you know that she, she (laughs) swears she's not had any work done. She oh, claims that her visage and her youthfulness is due to healthy living, lots of sleep, lots of hydration and amazing facials. And I'm like, girlfriend, you look amazing. You look totally different than you did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Um, but you know, God bless. She's living her best life. I am, a uh, like a lot of people, I think, um, I have become a huge Martha fan over time in a way that like, I just, I post love to jail, I love, like post felon Martha. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, me too. Yeah. Me too. And like, 
I used to, you know, you, you, you and I used to sometimes see her around when she went on, like the first times I ever encountered Martha Stewart were probably at some of the conferences that we used to go to in the tech world when she started. Remember when like, she pulled online. the bag out of, with Steve Jobs and she pulled the oh, bag of chargers out at the code conference or all things D yes. and all of the different Apple chargers, chargers for, and she's like, I have this for my computer, this for my iPad, this for this. And she's like, what are you going to fix this? And Steve Jobs was like, eh. I think it was Steve. Maybe it was Tim, but I think it was Steve. That's my I fantasy. Really, I, I, but I can even remember, you know, back in the night, you know, if, if, when people were first going online, it was like MarthaStewart.com and like. She got into business with my ex-boyfriend. Like she and this guy, Mark, bef that was before REM Boy, Mark and her ran Blue Light, which was the oh online God. side of Kmart and had this whole like Martha Stewart thing. It was bananas. BlueLight.com. But here's the thing that, that happened, right, was that. You know, people have very strong opinions about the fact that she went to jail and all that shit. And, you know, that people who are much bigger fraudsters and much worse, you know, humans and, and probably more criminal than she ever was haven't been punished. And there's all that discussion. But the bottom line is she went from being, I mean, obviously an incredible businesswoman, uh, an icon of a certain kind of like mainstream kind of like tapioca mayonnaise sort of style to being gangster. And like, and, and she is the Snoop fact that she's- the fact that she's embraced it of like, she came out of prison was just like, I'm an outlaw now, you know, her, and that's part of her image now is that, and the, the Sports Illustrated covers like that. Speaking of tattoos, you saw the thing um, with Scott Campbell, who is like in the Dr. Wu category of one of the great tattoo artists in America and lives out where you live now. He's like one of the handful of people who you would trust with doing anything for you. You know, there was this picture that went around that was viral of him supposedly- Revealing the tattoo on her arm, yeah. And, there oh, she a, pretended she got a tattoo, but tattoo. she didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a full right. tattoo. It, yes, it was, but it was like, I can't even remember whether it was ever resolved, whether she actually got a tattoo or whether it was like they staged it or I don't remember what the final resolution with that was or people who were like disputing that it was real. It doesn't matter because that's like the image that she now has, which is that, um, how old is Martha now? I mean, she's 81 years old. She's, you know, the 81 year old cover of the on Sports Illustrated who's getting tattoos from one of the world's great tattoo artists. That's like, she just went badass. And roaming with Snoop Dogg and selling yes. like weed paraphernalia. It's unbelievable. She went gangster and like, and to see someone in their octogenarian years. But meanwhile, she lives in like Westport, Connecticut and talks about uh, her, her, you know, sure. she has her chow chows and she's setting up the dinner tables, you know, ensemble. It's amazing. But that's the thing. That's the thing, Brooke, is that you you know, like one of the things that's great about Martha Stewart is that she had a third act, right? The first act was her rise to success. Then she has the fall. And in America, like we love that, that, that third the act. Phoenix or rising act. from the, the ashes. The rising from the ashes and not just rising from it, but somehow managing to both stay true to who she really is and also layer this other thing of like infamy and wear it like a badge of honor. It's like, that's a it's just a fucking very modern thing. And for it to see some woman of her age just doing it so adroitly, it's just And still sexy. Rad. I mean, sexy. Yes, as 100%. Well, the gangster thing helps with that, right? Right. Bad girls Red are flag. sexy. Red we, flag. Red flag. Red flag girl. Like she's, <laughs> if I was, if I was in an assisted living uh, facility up in Greenwich, Connecticut, I'd be fucking wanting to, 
you know, throw down with Martha Stewart. I'd be like, she's a badass octogenarian. I bet you Let's she's go. getting, I bet you she's getting Red a lot. Red flags everywhere there. Bro. So hot. Everywhere. Okay. So I, I, for the sake of time, I want to move into one more topic that did not get covered in the newsletter this week, but mm. has been really coming up in TikTok a lot, which is there was a viral video that came out last week of a guy filming a sort of foreman at a construction site in Florida, telling all the workers like this is about to happen. And unless you have papers, wait, 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 wait. can we talk about the other one? Let's do the other topic. I have the Florida thing. Is there Florida? Who cares? I like your, what was it? Mute. What's the, oh, okay. we were, Mary fuck kill. Yeah. I yeah. want to make sure we get that. Let's not we run are, out of time we, with that. Cause it, okay. that sounded like fun. How okay, much time fine. do you have? Four minutes? I have time. I have, okay. I have, I have, I have I, I'll give you 10 more. I'll get 10 more minutes. We'll stick around. Okay. Let's perfect. Go. Okay. So the Florida thing. So there was the foreman sitting and speaking to all of his crew and it went viral on TikTok. Like it's crazy. And it shows that. And so it, it basically telling them like, unless you have papers due to this new law, we can't employ you. And then the next day, the, the construction site sits empty. And there's all of these people now from different perspectives in Florida showing construction sites that are empty on their TikToks and explaining why. Then other guys who are saying they're getting calls. They used to work in construction, but they've moved up the chat ladder and they're in management now, but getting calls from their old bosses saying, hey, can you come and help lay concrete or do foundation or do brickwork or whatnot? And he's like, fuck no. There's a bunch of these guys. And it's right. so interesting because it's, it's, it's not the typical trend on TikTok. But, you know, it's it's definitely becoming more and more of these videos with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views. And I'm just about what do you think that's about? What's driving it? Well, I wanted to get your sense of like, what is DeSantis's sort of it doesn't seem like he's isolating all of these people. He's going after Disney. He's now like banning subjects in colleges. My, my niece is a school teacher in a public school in St. Petersburg, Florida, and they've been given a scanner where they have to scan the books and do a quota of how many books they're pulling from the library. Like, is this tactic going to work? You're from the political world. And like, honestly, freaking talk Donald Trump, CNN, like blah, blah, blah. But DeSantis scares the fuck out of me. So I'll say three things quickly, okay? The first is I'm from LA and the one thing that's really true is that Californians just don't get Florida. It's like- But you can't call me a Californian. I went to college in Florida. I know, but I'm trying to and answer I'm a your New question. Yorker. I'm, just, okay. I'm, I'm just trying to say like, when people ask me about Florida, I'm always like, hey man, like it's, you know, for all of time, it's like Florida is the California of the East and all these people on the East Coast go to Florida and they retire in Florida and so and so. And if you're from California, you're kind of like, I know people make fun of California and they, they oh, you know, it's a flaky state, whatever. It's like Florida, man, is a fucking parody of weirdness. And it's just, it's the, everything about the whole Everglades culture and the Florida man thing, all of that. I do love Florida is an object of obsessive weirdness for everyone. You kind of look at Florida and go, huh, I guess, you know, Miami, I'll go there for a couple of days. A sunny place for shady people. Ah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's perfect. Perfect. So, so that's the first thing though, right? Okay. It's like. Establish that Florida is weird. It's weird, right? The, the second thing is, and this is, this is just be like to get, you want politics here and I'm not going to go deep on this. No. But if you're running against Donald Trump, you're, you're, you have to figure out some way in a Republican party that is now not a conservative party, but is the MAGA party. It's like, it's not about being a Republican anymore. It's about like, how do you. How do you find a way to get people who love Trump 
to at least accept you or maybe even embrace you. And the way that DeSantis decided to do that was by becoming this culture warrior, right? So he punches trans kids in the face, metaphorically, and has, you know, the anti-CRT stuff, and he attacks Disney over trans stuff, and he does all this kind of culture war stuff. And at the same time, he wins this massive re-election in 2022, again, proving that the state's kind of weird. But, like, he guy has got more Hispanic votes. He got more black votes. He got more all of these, like, a more a broader, more diverse coalition. So people look at him and go, okay, this guy's, it's a big, important state. It seems to be working for him. But here's what I really want to say about this is I'll say Jeb Bush, Michael Dukakis, and Pete Wilson. Pete Wilson was governor of California in the in the in the nineties and and he and people said, Man, California, biggest state in the country. He's Pete Wilson has these crazy immigrant policies, but it really works for him in California. He's very popular. When he runs for president in nineteen ninety-six, he's gonna be a steamroller. The guy never got more than two percent. It was like California's a big stage failed. I'll add Rick Perry, governor of Texas, two-term governor of Texas, incredibly popular. He's going to run for president. He's going to do great. No. Mike Dukakis, the Massachusetts miracle. It's all going to be great. You know, Jeb Bush when he was governor of Florida. It turns out that like there's a huge difference between running for president on the big stage in front of the national media and the whole big country. Being the governor of Texas, California, Massachusetts, uh, Florida, these are important jobs in big, huge states with diverse populations and complicated, powerful economies. And it means fuck all to your ability to be like a serious presidential candidate. You can run those states and be a huge force in them and then just fall flat on your fucking face as soon as you try to be right. a national I candidate. I still think of Dukakis... 40 years later, when he had the crooked army the, helmet the, the on helmet, his head with the helmet and, when and he was becoming in the tank. a tank. And I still it imprinted in it's my brain. All over, and this is true in Florida too, but all over America, conservatives, liberals, and moderates are going, why are you in a fight with Walt Disney? When I know. Like Walt Disney? With Bambi. Our kids watch Frozen. What are you doing? Well, the like, man got married at Walt Disney. Isn't that weird? That's your calling card is like you're getting out, you're punching Mickey Mouse in the face every day. Really? Like, and I saw him when he did his book tour in Florida and it's all about the Florida miracle. I'm going to make America like Florida. And I'm like, you think the people in New Hampshire and Iowa and like, want to be like Florida, be like Florida, (laughs) bringing myself back to my first point, which is the, like the Florida miracle sounds like about as good to me as a national calling card as the Massachusetts miracle did. Because a lot of people looked up in 1988 and went, uh, yeah, I, we don't want the country to be like Harvard. You can keep that up there. Again, I say as someone who went to Harvard, but it's like, you know, that's not for the whole of America and neither is punching Walt Disney in the face. Okay. I mean, you guys heard it here first and it's true. I, I still think my favorite DeSantis moment lately has been when he had a meltdown in front of the Museum of Tolerance in Israel. Oh, do you know this? Do you know this story? I'll tell you this story. You will love this story. This is an unconfirmed story, but it's it's been made public and... People have asked DeSantis' office about it and have not gotten a response, which suggests to me that it's true. When he was a young man, he would take women out on dates to Thai restaurants. And he would pronounce the, he would say that he was taking them to a Thai restaurant. He would say Thai over and over again. And he knew that it was not correct. But if the woman- He went to Yale, he's not an idiot. But when the, if the woman he was dating corrected him, he would end the date and be like, I don't want to ever be with somebody who talks back to me. 
And that was how he like he was his test of whether the da- people he was dating were willing to just let him make mistakes because he never wanted to be told he was wrong by a woman. That is a story. John Oliver's team uh, talked about that. They looked into it. They went and asked the governor's office. The governor's office said no comment, which <laughs> to me sounds like a confirmation. That is, I but mean, like, that, that is the most psychotic shit I've ever heard. That's a that's a bent mind right there. That's a bent that's mind, and I wish that had made it into that New Yorker profile, which was so delicious mm. and so forth. But okay, for the sake of time, we're going to move on. I could talk to you all day, so we'll do this again. But um, as as you know, you listen to the podcast, but we've talked about is our take on I, I'm a more ladylike approach to marry, fuck, kill, <laughs> which is make out, marry and mute. And it could be a person. It could be a real person, a fictional character, an idea, a, a, a community. It could be anything. So I want so to just to be clear, just to be clear, the, there's marry and marry. Those are the same. Make out, right. make, make out, out make out, make out that you just want right. to like hook right. up with marry yeah. a long-term marry. relationship. So with. marry, but marry, fuck, kill is basically like you, you, you're keeping marry. You replace fuck with make out and you're changing kill to mute. So yeah. it's kind of a gentle. Uh, we're you don't a want to woke, kill these guys. We're a woke okay. podcast. We're just muting them. Right. So like <laughs> who's at the top of your mute list right now, by the way. Well, it's always, it's, you know, I mean, DeSantis, Elon Space Karen. I mean, I, mm. I, I wasn't going to do Elon this week, but then he did this whole, this whole thing this where he's tweeted that George Soros is, wants to kill humanity and he's the worst person and very racist oh tropes. And, and, it, and it's basically because, according to many other sources, Soros dumped all of his Tesla stock this, this yeah, past sure. quarter. Yeah. And so he's just bl- going into his ultra right wing, you know, MAGA world of George, George Soros, anti-Semitic conspiracies. So, so I want to mute. 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 What about you? It's like the opposite of add to cart. It's like remove from cart. It's not that like Elon's ever been in my cart, but like. Uh, Delete. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, and I think you and I are going to agree on this. Okay, ready? My big moment this week, the thing that has made me happiest so far this week has been the release yesterday of what may end up being the only promotion given the WGA strike of of the show that at this moment means the most to me on television is the television show, The Bear. Season two, The Bear June 22nd, um, and they put out their trailer yesterday, two minutes of utter bliss. And a number of things in it will appeal to you, I'm sure. One of them is John and I, just for those listening who don't know our friendship, it has stemmed the course of time. We've met each other in the 90s. We have traveled together in terms of working on stories. We we have lots of friends in common, but we love food. We love chefs. We love- music. Yeah. And, and music. music. And Chris oh. and Chris Storer, who is the showrunner, creator, lead writer and director on Bears. He's, he's not quite Aaron Sorkin in the first season of The West Wing, but he's, you know, he's a he's the driving creative force along with the amazing cast. Chris is a music nut at a level that like that you and I are. And because of uh, R.E.M. Boy, if you watch the trailer, you will get a sense that the song Strange Currencies, which is one of my favorite songs Mm. in the world uh, by R.E.M., is Mm. an important song, not just in the trailer, and it's why you start to feel like you're going to cry when you're watching the trailer, but it's, I can tell, I can reveal that Strange Currencies has a very important role in the whole of season two of The Bear, which, you know, there's a million, the music in season two is going to be crazily off the chain, and it was great in season one, it's going to be better in season two, and here's my point about Mary Mute Kill. Jeremy Allen White... Mary. 
Oh, my God. Okay, well, right. he's... Can we agree on that? Yes. Can and, we agree on that? And marry, marry, or, marry, or, marry or, or make out? I would make I'm out not, and marry him. I would marry, I right? would do right? all of it. He's a red... He was lip and shameless. I've loved him since yes. it was illegal to love red him. Red flags it, all over the field. He red is, flags all over the field. And then in that that show, and the, he's the cook, and he's like, you know, come back to this world, and he's got the smoking, and his cousin in this, Eben... Those the incredibly way. expensive, beautiful white German T-shirts that he wears. Uh, he wears like, very, very nice Unbelievable, t-shirts. yes. And and Eben Moss Backrack, it was amazing. And you know him for a long time. Ago, I've right? known him. I mean, I haven't seen him in ages, but I've known Eben a long time back in the RAM days. So like he and Peter Sarsgaard and all those guys were like, and Michael Stipe and all of them were in a posse. Sure. And we used to all party with like Julie Panabianco's apartment. Like we'd all congregate mm. in the in that beautiful moment in late 90s, early 2000s in New York. We were in that sort of fun, fun little social circle, as you know. The enormously important thing, I will say, in addition to the fact there are a lot of incredible cameos in season two of The Bear, oh, um, another another person, the real addition to the cast, who's a regular cast member, and you can see it in the trailer, that is obviously a former, maybe current, who knows, uh, love interest of Carmi Brazada, The Bear, Jeremy Allen White, is the amazing and spectacular Molly Gordon from uh, Booksmart, who is in like uh, most of the episodes of season two, and she's spectacular. Oh my God, I uh, love another, her. I say marry and make out there too. Yeah. Nobody absolutely. I want to mute on that show. No. No one on The Bear I want to mute. No so one interesting. And definitely not muting REM. And we've had some like, we oh, even did the show. No. Even when Mike and I broke up, I was like, God damn it, I can't hate you because I love your music. I mean, I just, I love, and he and I are obviously still so uh, close. But yeah. you and I both also appeared on like food shows back in the day on the Food Network, yeah. you know? I mean, we, yeah. you, you've been very involved in the in the studying how chefs operate and the, the uh, orchestras for which they conduct, if you will. I'm obsessed, and it's part of the reason why The Bear, when, you know, when it came out last year, it was the thing that no one had ever made a good scripted show about. And everybody always said in the food world, you can never do it. There was that one really bad, uh, what was it? The burnt with. Oh, uh, I hated it. Uh, yeah. And he, everyone hated it. The, Catherine Zeta Jones, wasn't it? Yeah. And well, yes. And, um, Bradley Cooper, whose next, uh, incredible movie is supposed to be about, is about Leonard Bernstein. And people say it's supposed to be brilliant. He played a chef, a bad boy chef modeled on practically every bad boy chef, chef that we know. Known. And the movie was an utter failure, and it scared everyone away from scripted shows about chef's kitchens. But in fact, restaurants are the ultimately great setting if you can get it right for, it's like a close space under deadline pressure, the clock is ticking, everyone is in close quarters, so there's like intense emotions, and there's rivalry, and there's camaraderie, and there's this family element to it, and there's class divisions, and race divisions, and gender divisions, and all that stuff, and no one had ever been able to crack the code until the bear, and everybody in the food world was like, oh my god, that is they what did a kitchen it. is like. They did it. And it was, it's, just, it's a beautiful, beautiful story about loss and addiction, and the passing of time, and recovery, and, and suicide, and all this other stuff. Every, every chef I know is like, this I never thought anybody would get it right, and this show gets it right, and and I I cannot wait um, for a season. Two. I can't wait I to watch it. Wait. I can't wait to watch I it. Can't, so I, I we can't both wait. would make out and marry the cast of the show. Of the and, bear. Everybody uh, in the bear. And I I've already told you my mute. Who's your mute? And then we're gonna wrap it because I actually have to get to my real job. <sighs> Who is you know? Last week it was uh, James Harden, and the, it takes a lot to get me to root for the Celtics because I'm from Los Angeles and I'm a diehard Laker fan, and I never 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 
Harden can root for the Celtics. But man, against James Harden, the Philadelphia 76ers, I was like, shut the fuck up. And I was rooting for the Celtics. For the first time in my life, I rooted for the Celtics. And uh, and I'm sort of still rooting for the Celtics against the Miami Heat because the Celtics-Lakers uh, NBA Finals would be glorious and fantastic, and I would love it uh, to death. But man, I'm with you on Elon. The, the George Soros thing really pisses me off because Elon is often... He's obviously, when you say all the things that our friend Kara says, he's brilliant. He's done incredible things with electric vehicles. He's all these things. There's no gainsaying some of the things he's done, and he may change the world in profound ways. Uh, he's made Twitter unusable for me. Like I find it like now it's, it used to be a toxic sewer, and now it's like an unusable toxic sewer. But on top of that, I just don't have any patience for the anti-Semitic stuff. You can be a clown and you can be someone who decides that you want to troll people and whatever the fuck the billionaires do. Like George Soros, you can disagree with the guy politically, but like the idea that like you're going to call up anti-Semitic tropes against the Holocaust survivor. Beyond the pale. Uh, well, John, this has been amazing. I adore you. I get the fact that I get 45 minutes of just getting to look at you talking to me directly and not on my TV screen, talking to the masses thrills me yeah. to no end. So come to New York, baby cakes. I'll be in New York in a, in a very short period of time. We'll discuss. I want to go hit all the okay. hot spots. I want to go to the new, the new restaurants that everyone's talking about. So we'll Ooh, discuss. Uh, let's cut. Yes. Come in. Uh, there are some great places to go and you, uh, you should come. We'll have a cocktail. We'll go have dinner. And great. It'll be nice. Okay. Well, thank you guys love for you, listening. And I love you, John and David. Thank you as always for being incredible and have a great Thursday. Pop culture.